welcome to Womance. I'm Isabeau. And I'm Morgan. And we're here to talk about romance novels, paperbacks, bodice busters, Kindles, <laughs> Kindle books, ebooks, Kindle fires, self published, fan fiction, supernatural, paranormal, romance, romance, romance reader. Whoa. Man's Man. reader. <laughs> What's he from? Huh? You know what he's from. <laughs> anyway, on today's podcast, we'll be talking about Improper Arrangements by Juliana Ross, which is technically an erotic historical romance. And it's also technically a novella. Indeed, because it comes in right at 192 pages on my iPhone. Holy smokes. Mm-hmm. What's the normal length of a romance novel? 359 pages. 359. On Ten average. shy of 369. <laughs> Anyway, what's wonderful about the romance genre in general is Uh that it's formulaic. Yeah. That almost all novels fall within a specific parameter of 359 pages. And so erotic novellas, like Improper Arrangements by Juliana Ross, are a welcome newcomer on the scene. Mm -hmm. They they like to shake things up. They sure do. They're also cheaper on your Kindle and apps and such. Yeah, which is always exciting. All right, let's get to it. What's your favorite sex scene, Morgan? This one was actually hard because I really enjoyed the sex scenes in this one. Because they're good. They are so good. They're hot. And I'm trying to put my finger on what makes them so good. I think that's great. Let's, like, give a brief overview of the novel, if you would. Yeah, so Improper Arrangements starts with a intentional spinster, Mm -hmm. shall we say. She was ruined a couple times, and she's got a really powerful family, and she could have overcome it, but she was like, you know what? I'm the youngest daughter of three. I'm over this. This is baloney. B-O-L-O-G-N-A, and it's not for me. She lives independently. She's very interested in mountain climbing. And so she departs. And botany. And botany and watercolor paintings. Mm -hmm. She is a botanist who does watercolor paintings of rare mountain flora. Alpine flora. Indeed. And so she she decides to book it to France. Right. To the Alps. She plans on hiring a guide. She meets a certain shirtless mountain climber on Mm. the road to the starting town of the High Road, Mm -hmm. as they call it, across the Alps, they don't say a whole lot to each other, and then they make whoopee. Passionate love against a door in the first 30 pages. Whoopee, passionate love. (laughs) Tomato, tomato. (laughs) (laughs) Let's call the whole thing off. Let's call the whole thing off! And um, and then he leaves. She's not into it. She's like, ugh, I can't believe I did that. What a dumb thing to do. And then she reconnects with him. Turns out he's a world-famous mountain climber. He's good pals with her brother, kind Mm. of. Tom. Tom. And he agrees to guide her. Against his better judgment. Yeah, he's like, obviously you don't want to bone me, and obviously all we want to do is bone. So... I don't know how we're not going to bone. The answer is sea sponge covered in olive oil. (laughs) (laughs) But... Yes, moving. With the introduction of a little rudimentary <laughs> contraception. Barrier method. Which we need to talk about. We do. Anyway, they so. Start, they start a sexual relationship. They get After mountain climbing for after several days. mountain climbing. And they have lots of sex. Oh. And then she goes through an accident and he kind of nurtures her back to health. Mm-hmm. And then it comes time for her to return to England. She's like, I don't want to give up my life of independence. I don't mm-hmm. want to really be with you. Yeah. And he's upset. He's super mad about he's it. He's super mad. He's heartbroken. 
broken. Boo-hoo. And then our heroine has some time of self-reflection mm. and decides that she's gonna... Spoiler alert. We're not gonna get there yet. We're gonna get there at the end. Let's talk about our favorite sex scene now that we know, like, the bare bones mm. plot. My favorite sex scene is after she first gets her sea sponge. Nice. Okay. Not just because I like the fact that the sea sponge is not already soaked in his old, dirty semen. <laughs> It's soaked in <laughs> fragrant, delicious olive French oil. olive oil. It's in olive oil. It's fresh. The sea sponge it smells is real fresh. Good. The guiltless sex is fresh. He really buys good. it for her, which I is think, really nice. Yeah, and I think it really uh, demonstrates that she is no longer fearful. Mm -hmm. They're just enjoying each other. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that I love most about that particular scene is that they very consciously agree that their attraction is too strong to deny. And they're really proactive about it and the thing that she fears most and I think this is indicative of the genre is becoming pregnant mm -hmm. and she's like what else is there to fear because she fall pregnant. is yeah it's fall pregnant one of our favorite phases here at Womance and he's like well diseases for one and just before you ask I don't have any which is hilarious because how would he know here we are in <laughs> 1814 he doesn't have blood tests yeah but apparently he doesn't have the French disease and that's fine I guess we'll take him at his word he also hasn't had sex in two years because mm -hmm. he's been recovering from a mountaineering accident himself. Yeah. And the moment where Living he... in a small town, he doesn't want to shake things up in that small town. Right, because that's what happens in a small town. Yeah. And so he goes out and gets the sea sponge and gets the fragrant olive oil mm -hmm. because he wants her to feel safe and comfortable and he wants to feel safe and comfortable and, you know, stop coming on her thighs. Chapter 8 is where my favorite sex scene occurs, by the way. For those of you... Do you want to give us a section? I do, actually. This is not an actual sex act. This is a precursor, and this is mm. one of my favorite tropes in the genre, and it's mm. unpinning the hair. Mm. I do love unpinning the hair, and it goes so long. Uh, Crowning glory. Pushing back his chair, he stood and held out his hand. We crossed the room, taking half a dozen awkward, shuffling steps until my skirts were brushing against the bed's frame. That's kind of a weird place to put a comment. He swung us round and sat, his legs spread wide so I might stand between them. Before I could protest, his hands were in my hair, gently teasing out and removing pin after pin, letting them fall heedlessly to the floor. Mm, heedless. Heedlessly. It felt terribly illicit, allowing a man to see my hair unbound in such a fashion. I never thought much of it, though abundant and very long. It was bone straight and uninspiring, shade of light brown. I don't go much for the Nancy Drew stuff. Slash the bad self-esteem that most of our heroines have. <laughs> it looks so stupid. I'm just not pretty until a man tells me I am. Oh my god, where are these guys at the end staring at me? Is it because of my ugly climbing dress? <laughs> that you made me shorten so I wouldn't die? You made die. me shorten it and now I look too, I look too slutty. <laughs> you can't see my ankles. Anyway, what is really interesting about Juliana Ross's improper arrangements, as Morgan just demonstrated, is that it's one of the very few romance novels told in first person. Throughout! The entirety. Oh my god, I loved it! Did you? Because when we come to the end, and he's like, where are you gonna go now? And she's like, back to England. It comes as a genuine surprise to you as the reader that he is very upset that she wouldn't even consider bringing him with her. That is a hundred percent true, because yeah. like, one of the normal tropes of the romance genre yeah. is that we switch between male and female perspectives, yeah. which I think is generally nice. In the close third. In the close third. Should, dare I say, the cuddly third? The cuddly third. 
where in chapters, almost at chapter breaks or halfway between chapters, will be like, and then she knew versus he then understood. Mm -hmm. And like, Juliana Ross really just doesn't go in for that at all. She's 100% in our heroine's perspective. Yeah. She never enters Elijah, our main hero here. She never enters his perspective. No. Because it's 100% centered and grounded in first. And that's actually kind of jarring as someone who reads the genre. It's my favorite. Wow. I think it works so, like, I wonder, Mm. here's my question. Okay. Who is the male perspective close third for? It's to make apparent to the reader the desirability of the female subject. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't agree. Okay. I think the male perspective in close cuddly third is indeed for women because it's a genre uh-huh. for and by women. Yeah. But it's to increase the desirability of our heroes where they're not only in touch mm. with their hearts so that we can identify with them better, but it's like the secret desire of Mimsy who like bubble back at home and like isn't paid for her unpaid labor as whatever she is that she does. Mimsy. Mimsy. Sure. Right. And like she wants to feel not only understood but to think that her rough and tumble whatever whatever man friend has an interiority that includes all of these various shades and vulnerabilities that maybe he has a hard time accessing with her. And I think that is where the close cuddly third Uh of male and female came into the genre to fill the need that women Uh, had by feeling alienated by their husbands. Yes. I've got to say, I don't feel like our perspectives are mutually exclusive. Mm. I think we're reaching the same conclusion on, and I'm more convinced by yours, like your methodology of getting there. But I, I honestly, maybe it's because it's a novella Mm. and we don't spend that much time there, Mm -hmm. but I feel like the male character in this is so, Elijah, he's desirable on his own, Mm. but the author takes some shortcuts to get there, right? He's distant. Yep. He's got the tragic backstory. Yes. So maybe that's why. I don't know, but it works. It works so well for me that we just live in the perspective of our heroine. And I think that's fascinating, especially like when we talk about the genre in general, right? Because we generally live in the perspective of our heroine, but there's almost, I would say, a 60-40 split in general romance, 359 pages, Tessa Dare, Lisa Kilpass, of 60-40 heroine hero. Yeah. And Juliana Ross is 100% heroine. Is that true across all of her novels? This is the only one I've read. She's written three. It's the Improper series. Mm -hmm. And all of them are told from the perspective of our heroine. The Improper series, though, they're all novellas. They are. None of them are longer than 192 pages. Also... You can get the bundle for $4.99. The author... Juliana Ross. ...has a PhD in modern history. She sure does. She studied at Oxford. She sure did. That's where her interest in British social history came from. Yep. I don't think we talk enough about how accomplished the women who write in the genre are. I think that's a really important point to make in this moment. Not only because if you read the author's notes in general, not only are we talking about PhD historians, we're talking about mathematicians, we're talking about extremely accomplished women. One of the world's foremost shakes Shakespeare scholars. Right. Oh my god, yes. And they're accessing something purely capitalistic Mm -hmm. and la 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 
But it it feeds something inside of themselves, right? It's a, it's a part of themselves that they can access, but it's also something that they can investigate. And one of the things that I love about Tessa Dare from our first episode is that she hires historians to do her her historical oh, research. Really? Lisa Kleepas does this as well, where she has human beings, often women, that she hires uh-huh. to do the research that she's immediately interested in. All the details in romance that make it interesting, like the way in which a woman pins her hair, the way in which a woman curls her hair with irons uh-huh. in 1818, uh-huh. the way in which women handle their menstruation, the way in which women would notice if their menstruation wasn't happening, the rags of menstruation. Like, there's just not yeah. a ton of physical history regarding menstruation or ovulation. Like, it's just, like, not in the history because, obviously, Western history is written by white men. Right. Um, and romance novelists are doing critical work of bringing it into the social zeitgeist. And, like, not enough is said about the fact that accomplished women are doing that for other accomplished women. So do you have the digital copy of this book? I sure do. I love that there's a link to her Pinterest Mm. in the About the Story. And it's great because her Pinterest board is so... Her Pinterest board, she has one for each book, but then she also has one of Alpine Flora. But each of her... With beautiful illustrations. Each of her... Each of her books... Includes uh, photos of historical corsetry, mm-hmm. which plays an interesting role in this novella. Indeed. And like, not enough has been said about the way in which corsets operated on women's bodies, but also operated on their erotic lives. Like, the fact that you could have a short working corset so that if you were doing things around the home, you wouldn't be laced so tight yeah. that you would faint. And you could pull it down and your boobs would pop free. Yeah. And it was like, suddenly we're ready to go. Yeah, there's this self-presentation Elijah has of an interest in the natural lady, right? He buys her a straw hat instead of a bonnet, makes her him or dresses up, and he suggests she wears pants underneath it if she's uncomfortable with that. However, he is infatuated with her whenever she wears her afternoon dress that involves a tight lace corset. Which puts her boobs up by her chin. Which lifts her breasts. To her chin. Yeah. And she puts this outfit on specifically to seduce him mm-hmm. twice. She a big titted lady. Yeah. And he likes it. He and does like it. And there's also this constant like tugging down of the corset mm-hmm. to reveal. The boobs. The boobs. I guess this preoccupation with breasts, but breasts presentation to the discomfort of the breast taver Mm. And I think that's, like, especially interesting because, like, I don't know She's... how you feel about Titanic as, like, a oh. specific discussion of corsetry, but, like, there is 100% no way that Kate Winslet is pulling that down to reveal her breasts. Yeah. Like, there's no way that that fucking whalebone corset I don't know how prison, it works in this book. It's because it only, like, her day corset, uh-huh. it hugs. For those, for those of you who don't have the Womance television subscription, is <laughs> about using the backs of her hands (laughs) to shape her breasts to lift her breasts to show you what a day corset is right it just holds your breasts in place and it only comes down to basically your navel listeners at home put the back of your hand against the bottom of your breast and lift and then put your hands right where about your belly button would be and make a little triangle got it and then pull down 
And then whatever was holding your boobs in place Wait. would reveal. And like your corset chemise, your corset cover chemise, which Juliana Ross spends a lot of time talking yeah, about. chemises and weird corset. underwear. Right. What that does when you pull it down from your navel where the corset comes into a very nice little triangle, when you pull it down, it pulls your chemise down, revealing your breasts in a perfect little portraiture. <gasps> so he's really pulling down her little chemise And her corset to reveal. Mm-hmm. Try it at home. If you want. Per Isabeau's very <laughs> specific instructions. Isabeau knows a lot about corsetry and jumper stays and the ways in which women bound their breasts because here's the thing. Breasts get in the way. I don't know if you know this. I'm a big titted lady. And boobs get in your way. Like, I'm constantly like, people are like, you should go running and like lose weight and whatever. And I'm like, here's the thing. I don't like it when my boobs bounce between my navel and my chin <laughs> and I have to wear two sports bras. It hurts. Right, but if I had jumper stays a la 1767 or a specific kind of day corset, the way in which my boobs move would be different. But I live in the moment that I live in and I have to wear two sports bras. Also, running is a pits. Great. Don't try to convince someone to run if they don't come to it on their own. Mm. Stop being a running evangelist. You know who doesn't run? Me. Heroines in romance novels. No. Unless they're running from murderers. But they certainly walk, don't mm, they? They do. They walk real far in their, like, walking boots. In their steel-toed walking boots, mm. as I think with our heroine in this novel. Legacy of Jane Austen, Elizabeth Bennet, walking. Walking. Mm. Walking is my favorite. I love walking as well. I think walking is great. And there's a lot of walking in this novel that I love. And I, like, I want to talk for a moment. If you're a listener and you're walking right now listening mm. to our podcast. I hope you're walking in steel-toed boots thinking of Elizabeth Bennet crossing the moors. for you. Mm. Anyway, speaking of this novel. What if someone's listening to this walking across the moors? Hold on. Uh, can we clap for them? Let's just clap for them. If your name is Melissa, we're not clapping for you. No, Melissa! Get off the channel, Melissa! Melissa, I'm so sick of trying to not appeal to you. Melissa! Anyway. Melissa, I'm just kidding. Can I come to your party? Melissa, I really want to go to homecoming. Melissa, you look so pretty. Melissa, you're always so pretty. Anyway, Melissa or Karen. <laughs> Karen, future Melissa. <laughs> anyway, I want to talk about something specific to romance novels yeah. and Disney movies. Oh, and I'd like to call it The Whiff of Death. Smell that? Smells like death. <laughs> right? But just the right amount of death that heightens all of our receptors uh -huh. and heightens the receptors of our hero and our heroine. And Juliana Ross pulls it together really nicely. It's it's also happens if you listen to our first podcast about Tessa Dare and A Week to Be Wicked. Romance novels have a lot in common with Disney movies because they hit beats very, very specifically, right? Mm -hmm. We're moving through the novel or the screenplay like this. Uh -huh. And Whiff of Death happens like 25 pages or 25 minutes before the end. Yeah. And in Juliana Ross, it's this moment where there's a rock slide where our heroine is petrified as these rocks are tumbling towards her and our hero drags her out of the way. Yeah. So it's a very exciting moment. She breaks her arm. She sprains her ankle. He nurses her back to health. There's this whole like thing. And in A Week to Be Wicked, it's when the carriage breaks down and it's like reliving the moment of Colin's terrible tragedy. But this is a moment also like you can see it in like Disney movies like Elle 
himself where like he's gonna throw himself off the bridge because yeah. he's so sad because nobody believes in Christmas. Like there's this very essential moment where it's like humans need a specific kind of stakes. And romance novels never not deliver. And like that's so delighting about romance Delightning? Novels. Delightning. <laughs> it's de-lovely, if you know what I mean. You're delightning. <laughs> delightning! You're delirious. You're the top. I have a note here, sorry. I just looked About at the rock slide? About no. this whiff of death that romance novels have? Because you can't have sex without death. There are a couple real eye-rolling things. Uh, I want you to discuss with me whiff of death before we get to the eye-rolling moments. Whiff of death, yeah. I right? mean, Can we call that a romance trip? I mean, I'm not as like familiar with the genre as you are. I am a newbie. Novice. I'm a novice reader. Postulant. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, that's like one of the first steps in becoming a nun. I'm a real postulant to this genre. Um, but I can't think of a book I've read so far that hasn't had... Whiff of Death. Whiff of Death. However, I want to talk about Disney. Mm, yes. Because Bambi has a lot more than a whiff. Uh, yeah. Fucking Bambi's mother dies. And Fox and the Hound? Mm. The expectation that you're literally going to kill your own friend. That feels like more than a whiff. But here's the thing about but romance novels. And, like, this is the moment that I think, like, romance novels and Disney and their formulaic appearance and appeal... Uh-huh. has a real crossover where it's like people do die in Disney and people do die in romance novels and they die in very particular ways right like women come to ignominy if they fall pregnant yeah. and like don't have anyone to support them women fall pregnant a turn of phrase I think we should bring back fall pregnant it's like fall back <laughs> Set your clocks back, guys. Um, and, like, there's this moment where it's, like, heroines can witness what they might have been, mm -hmm. which is the same thing that, like, Disney movies provide, where it's, like, if I don't do this thing or if I take this other path, yeah. I'll die. I know we already talked about A Week to Be Wicked. We can talk about it again. But they literally have sex at the site of his parents' death. It's, yeah. like, a 100%. carriage crash yeah. and everything. Yeah. And she's like, is this very near where it happened? And he's like, not so very near. And she's like, okay. Mm, it's like super fucking near. It's like within a mile. Let me hike up my, my skirts. skirts. And my crinolines. Mm. Can we talk about pantaloons? Pantaloons. I also love that there's like this gap in everyone's <laughs> underwear. It's like everyone's constantly commando. What? And then they talk about like the male protagonist touching her slit. And I don't know if they're talking about her The slit in her drawers or, or her, her vulva. Yeah. Fair. I think that's a really fair this is criticism. Probably... <laughs> Of the genre itself. This is a super fair criticism. That's a super fair criticism of the genre. Here's the other thing that I want to talk about in terms of whiff of death. Let's not use the term slit anymore. Romance slit? writers. How else are you going to refer to the, the pedal? The pantaloon opening. The pan All panties were crotchless panties. In historical went down to your knees. Yes. What is the point? How are you preserving <laughs> modesty if it's fucking crotchless? I love that they were like, let's coat her in layers of skirt. How is she going to pee? I know how we'll make this easy. We're going to make it crotchless. How is she going to pee or poop? Mm, crotchless. Crotchless. Just big flaps. It's... No one can ever throw that up to her ears. <laughs> anyway, beside the point, Whiff of Death, which makes all romance <laughs> novels particularly delicious. 
Uh-huh. Why is it that we love sex and death? Oh, man. Well, it's like sex is like the solution to death, right? Because if you procreate, then you have something to continue on, mm. to continue on your life. Why is it when people have near-death experiences, they want to have sex? It's because they want Not to even near-death experiences. People at funerals. Mm-hmm. No one goes to a funeral, like... <laughs> to get laid. To get laid. But, I mean, it's incredibly easy. Pigs in a blanket are a very erotic food. We also have this dish. My parents are from Texas. My mom very generously calls them company coming over potatoes, but everyone else in the world calls them funeral potatoes. The fuck is a funeral potato? It is cream cheese, awesome. cheddar cheese, awesome. those cubed hash, frozen hash browns, okay. covered in potato chips. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> this is why you serve at funerals. In Texas, I Tell me how funeral potatoes, <laughs> if it's because it's indulgent, that's the solution. Funeral potatoes are the solution. I think we've wandered off track. Dear listeners, please tell us what potato dishes you receive at funerals and what potato dishes you want after sex and we will create a van diagram, diagram. that's just gonna be a fucking circle <laughs> potatoes here's the thing <laughs> i've never had the sour cream other cream i'm gonna potato. bring them next week to record it i feel like that's a texas thing like the funerals that i've been to have had potato dishes but they've been scalloped potatoes a cheesy potato it is a cheesy potato what could be more indulgent what could be more comforting it only has one kind of cheese answer sex sex yes cheesy potatoes sex sex i'm gonna be honest Mm. they alternate for me Mm. which is more comforting i think that's right i think that's right can we talk about cheesy potatoes and then like cunnilingus because the cunnilingus in juliana ross's improper arrangements cunnilingus she writes good cunnilingus she does and i think that's like kind of an unheralded virtue of a romance novel one of the reasons i think i enjoyed the sex scenes in this so much is that there's so much communication Mm. and dialogue Mm. happening the characters are constantly asking one another what do you want they're constantly stating what they want and they're i get really bored of this conversation of we can't have consent because consent is unsexy and this book really demonstrates that it's not unsexy you're unsexy if you can't if you can't be a a, board for consent. Through. Yeah, if you can't yeah. talk through stuff. But they're constantly talking and, and during the cunnilingus scenes our heroine is very, even though she's never had it before, she's very particular about what sensation she's interested in having. Indeed. And I think that's right. Yeah. And I think what's also really important about this first person narration where we never get Elijah's point of view or his emotionality or his interiority. Right. It's like we do get it a lot in the sex scenes because he's constantly asking and receiving and changing the way in which he interacts with her both before and after sex and it feels very tender like I feel like I know Elijah in a lot of particular ways in the way he interacts with our heroine Mm -hmm. after they have sex but also before where he's like hey are you interested in this thing here's a sea sponge it also smells delicious like kind of like a caprese salad I'm gonna put it in to your vagina and it's always gonna be clean they never talk about cleaning the sponge exactly I think it's good that they don't talk about it, though. It's, like, one of those things where it's, like, I don't need to know that it happened. That would break the fantasy. I just assume that it does. But, But I mean, they always mention him inserting it. I kind of wish she would have inserted her own sea sponge at some point. Yeah. Ladies out there, you're partially responsible for your own sea sponge. Yeah. And whether or not that sea sponge is an IUD or a condom, please be safe and consider it. also, get your fingers up in there. Yeah. It feels good. Get a hand mirror. Mm. If you haven't done that already. You should have to do that. And also, do you know what? What? Get a real sea sponge. Mm. Douse olive it oil. in real olive oil. Yep. And uh, have your lover put 
push it up to your cervix. Here's the thing, though. Maybe don't have full P and V sex because no, a sea sponge in olive oil is not going to prevent pregnancy. I don't believe 100% that. A hundred percent, not true. Maybe like sixty-two percent. It's like straight up family planning method. Juliana Ross. Ross. Madam Ross. Madam Ross. I How love did you your get this information. Instagram. She got it from the fucking historical record. I'm sure she did, but. Other than sea sponges, uh-huh. there were French letters. Yeah, there were condoms. Right, but if you're prophylactics, if your man wasn't investing in a lamb stomach skin, yeah, that tied at the base of his member, yeah, there were no prophylactics. There, w- there was no way to protect yourself other than pull out. It's not really an investment. It is an investment. You have to wash that shit out. Oh, you mean like? Yeah, like you don't throw them away. It's not like modern condoms. I know it's like that. Not the Trojan man. I read Anna Karenina. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what I took away from it. What did you take away from Anna Karenina? Karenina. You reuse them. You have to wash them first. Yeah, but th- I mean, like here's that the comes thing. With here's it. here's the here's the last thing that I want to talk about in romance. Is since this episode has become real, real. Thank mm-hmm. you, Juliana Ross. Semen are like kind of magical. I'm like they live for fucking ever. Semen are kind of magical. It sounds like you're talking about sailors. (laughs) Semen are also. Have you seen K19, The Widowmaker? That's a magical. Oh my gosh, we haven't even talked about the liminal space of travel, mountains, oceans. mm, We're definitely gonna get to that in the next episode of Romance. (laughs) However, let's talk about semen for a real moment. Talk about sperm, cum, jizz, juice, juice. It can live for 72 hours inside of your body. If you get into a cummy hot tub, you might get pregnant because those sperm can survive. In fact, all a sperm wants is to be ejaculated into a hot tub. Slash your cervix. So ladies. Close second is a hot tub. It goes not unlike the relationship between sex and cheesy potatoes. Agreed. And then this is full circle. This full is circle. Like, it's comfort. We never got off track. Here's the thing about romance. It's comfort. It's comfort food. It's comfort for your brain. It's a very particular kind of thing that the romance genre is doing. And we want to draw attention to it because what it's doing is good. It generally. Is, it is. What, what it's doing is good. Generally. Right. Generally. And we want to talk about its faults. We want to talk about its successes. But here's one of the things that we really need to talk about in terms of romance. On a romance. practical level. Yes. When you have sex in the P&V clinical copulation reproductive method. Yeah. You got to protect yourself girls come on take charge of your sexuality buy some condoms buy some condoms buy some fucking cervical caps buy some diaphragms buy an iud whatever it is buy that you a need. condom because there's also diseases right that one in particular but like anything that you can do so you don't fall pregnant right i love my iud i love my iud as well i want a button that says ask me about my iud i want that button as well ask me about my iud womance we'll start selling buttons that say ask Ask me me about about my my iud (laughs) womance Ask me about my IUD. We want you to enjoy your fiction. No, do it. Ask me. No. We Ask want, me about I will in a second. We want you to enjoy your sex like you enjoy your romance. Safely <laughs> and in the comfort <laughs> of your own homes or cars or wherever it is that you're listening to this podcast. Listen, enjoying romance promiscuously is not being unsafe. Yes. Enjoying sex promiscuously is not being unsafe. No. Doing it without a condom. Oh my God, ladies, please tell me you are all wearing a dental dam right now while you're listening to this podcast. Please. Please.
Uh, <laughs> ask me about my IUD. Morgan, mm-hmm. do you have an IUD? I do, and I love it. Why do you love it? I don't get periods. Do you have the marina? Yeah. I do, too. You don't have to get the marina. If you, you can get the copper to, one. Yeah, if you're sensitive to hormonal birth control, you can get the copper one. My friend Kat has the copper one, and she loves it. And it also lasts for 10 years versus five, which is marina. Does Trader Joe's offer a... Trader Joe's offers health insurance to anybody who works 30 hours per week. Trader Joe's tip corner with Isabeau. Trader Isabeau's. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Womans. We hope you stay safe and sexy out there. Stay safe and sexy out there. Let's go get some cheesy potatoes. Mm. Hey folks, it's Morgan. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance. Our logo is by Mary Reichman and our original music and editing is by Nick Gravelin. They're the best. Feeling woeful about waiting a whole week for more Womance? Well, chin up, Buttercup. You can creep or connect with us anytime on Twitter. We're at woe underscore mance or Instagram, womance, all one word. You can also find us on Tumblr at womance.tumblr.com. If you prefer to be more direct, why not send us an email? We're womancemail at gmail.com. Can't wait to hear from you. And don't forget to tune in next week.